This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. O Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appearing. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, uh, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and today is a week four of Advent. Over the last uh, three weeks of observing Advent together as a church family, we've been led through uh, from Egypt, uh, the, the Exodus there, following the Old Testament narrative through the wilderness, uh, a season of, of waiting, of, of trusting, of losing heart and not trusting, uh, guided through the wilderness by the prophets. Uh, time of listening, a time of ignoring, a time of silence, and a big thanks for a great job to Pastors Brooks and Don and Elder Candidate Derek uh, over these uh, last three weeks. It takes uh, tremendous skill and knowledge uh, to do what they've done over the last three weeks, uh, which is preaching from the Old Testament uh, without pressing too much into the gospel. That takes a lot of work for someone who is Jesus-exalting and gospel-centered. Uh, as a preacher and teacher, it's more difficult than what it may appear. Uh, but they've done so in order to try to work to create a, uh, a sort of tension, um, making Advent uh, sort of lay heavy on us as we want so desperately to have the hope unleashed on us uh, celebrating Christmas morning. So them holding back was, was intentional, uh, trying to create a season of longing and despair, uh, placing us in the time we were waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ. So Egypt, week one, wilderness, week two, prophets, week three, and now Messiah. As we considered Egypt, uh, we know there that we needed to be saved. As we considered the wilderness, we, we ask ourselves, will we ever be saved? And then we considered the prophets, and we hear there's a way to be saved. And now for today, as we consider the Messiah as our theme, we see one say, I've come to save you. In Egypt, we say, we're desperate, we're needy, we need to be delivered, we have to be rescued in the wilderness, we think to ourselves, God's way can't be right. There's got to be another way. There's got to be a different way. And then God sends us prophets. And we tell the prophets, God's way is not right. And then the Messiah steps into human history, one sent by God. And he says, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one escapes the greater Egypt. No one gets out of the wilderness. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel tells us that we're all born in Egypt, if you will. We're all born as slaves, slaves to very ruthless and abusive and cruel masters, slaves of sin and death, working very hard to appease the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is our natural drift. We're seeking peace, but we only find greater hostility. We, we desire rest, but we're only growing more restless. We, we need relief, but we only receive more pain. 
The reality is that through our lives, we're all looking for deliverance from Egypt. We're all looking for a way out. We're all looking for freedom. We're all looking for deep-seated satisfaction. And this search, this looking, plays out in thousands of ways. It plays out in religion. It plays out in rebellion. It plays out in relationships. It plays out in riches. And as we seek deliverance, wandering about from potential Savior, potential help, we find ourselves in a sort of wilderness. The wilderness is often where we run from one hope to another, from one potential rescuer to another, from one possible way out to another. And we drift along, dreaming uh, perhaps of the, the day that we're free from Egypt. We're, driv- we're, we're dreaming of, of when we're delivered from our wanderings through the dry and weary wilderness. Dreaming of when we're living a life full of meaning and purpose and peace and fun and joy. But to think of meaning and purpose and peace and joy in the midst of the wilderness is like trying to drink water from a mirage, consuming sand, nothing refreshing or saving. The wilderness teaches us a very hard way. The wilderness teaches us what's not the way. Many of us in this room, we know things that can't satisfy We know things that things are are not going to satisfy. We know where not to place our hope. Most of us can speak for days on things that will disappoint you in the long run. Most of us don't know where to look for true help. Most of us, at best, need to be reminded of where our true help comes from. Well, this is one of the main roles of the prophets. So Egypt, wilderness, now the prophets... The prophets were the mouthpieces of God. They were speaking his message on his behalf. And their messages offered hope and a potential way out of Egypt, a a way out of the wilderness. It granted them the compass of where to go. The prophets told those needing deliverance and rescue, hey, here's the way back home. Here's the route to hope. But thinking that we know a better way, We, much like the children of Israel in the wilderness, we will try anything else other than what the prophets were telling us. Because often if it's difficult, if it doesn't make sense to us, it's got to be wrong, right? If we can't fully understand it, it can't be right. So we perpetuate the wilderness. Our wandering in the wilderness continues, and yet God faithfully continues to send prophets. Here's the way. If you listen and obey... You'd find the way. It doesn't have to stay this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Yet, even when we would listen to the prophets, even when we would try so very hard, we couldn't seem to be consistent enough to hold up our end of the bargain. We would hear the prophets. We would seek to obey. We would try really hard, and we couldn't hold up our end of the covenant. And so we continue in our drifting despair in the wilderness. And then in the midst of of some of the most silent years in human history, out of nowhere, God loved that world. The world who couldn't hold it together. The world who never could hold up their end of the bargain. One who could never humble and trust him. Who always thought they knew better. For God loved that world 
that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him, they would not perish. They would not remain in Egypt. They would not stay in captivity. They would not remain in the wilderness, but they would have eternal life. They would be delivered from this. For God did not send his son into the world to lock them up tighter. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, delivered, and rescued through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. Friends, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is Jesus, the promised deliverer, the one who takes captivity captive. The Messiah who brings about the greater exodus, delivering us from sin and suffering and death. This is the Messiah who willingly enters into the wilderness, experiencing temptation and great loss, yet without sin, never once not perfectly obeying his Father constantly. This is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who makes good on the promises of God. He himself is the fulfillment of all the prophets and the covenants. This is the Messiah who fulfills all the obligations of the ifs so that you and I can experience the reward of the then. This is the work of the Messiah. The Messiah has come to make all sad and bad things untrue. The Messiah didn't show up for you to have a holiday or vacation, stockings or presents. He didn't show up for you to have nice little songs to sing or family traditions or to be even merely admired. This is not why the Messiah showed up. The Messiah showed up in order to shut down sin, Satan, death, and your guilt. The Messiah showed up in order to eternally redeem your damned life, restoring you back into friendship with Almighty God, presenting you perfectly to his Father. This is the work of the Messiah. This is why he showed up. He came to give you life and life more abundantly, as in eternally, as in a perfect life forever and ever and ever. Anything less is too far too less. And this is why we celebrate Jesus. This is why we have to celebrate Christmas in May and June and August and not just at December at Christmas. We can't leave the child in the manger. We have to see him on the cross as a grown man. And we've got to see him in the future on the throne ruling and reigning as king over all other kings forever and ever. As Charles Wesley wrote in 1739, 280 years ago. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail, worship the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. He was born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them a second birth, to be born again. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Friend, this the Messiah, this is Jesus. He's the King, the promised one, the long-awaited one. This is the Christ. And so we celebrate this time of year as we acknowledge the fact of what took place more than 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. In the midst of, of, of more than 400 years of silence from God's prophets, the time between Malachi and Matthew the birth of the King, Jesus. This takes place in the midst of spiritual wilderness wanderings where we were living a hopeless and perpetual Egypt. 
It's in the midst of that silence that God made good on the hundreds of years of promises by sending the Messiah to earth. Paul wrote about it to the church at Galatia. In chapter 4, he said, But when the fullness of time had come, when it was the right time, when, it was, when all things were working out according to plan, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born the creator God, born under the law in order to redeem, rescue those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, he sent his son, but because you're sons and daughters, he now sends his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Remember Egypt? So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if you're a son and a daughter, then you are an heir through God, uh, adopted by God through faith in the finished work of Jesus, the Messiah. This isn't a fantasy. This is fact. It's not a hoax. It's our hope, and it's the only lasting eternal hope. Hope, hope doesn't come merely because he showed up, but because of what he accomplished when he did show up. There's two things I want to point out. First, he lived a life of complete obedience and perfection as your representative before God. Therefore, God doesn't see your life of sin, but rather he sees Christ's life of perfection. He doesn't see where you messed up. He sees Christ's life of righteousness. Oh, how important it is for us to believe this, practically believe this. I hope this isn't just theological truth. I hope it practically enables you to flourish in your pursuit of knowing God and loving Him and being loved by Him. You see, our previous representative was Adam. And we, just like him, have, have experienced sin by birth and by choice. And Jesus, the Messiah, though, he comes in and he's our better representative. He's our more perfect representative. As 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, he's the second Adam or the last Adam. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ as our Messiah that our previous representative, Adam, is displaced and replaced by our new and better representative, who is Jesus. Going back to Charles Wesley 280 years ago, the last stanza of Hark the Herald Angels sings, sing, he says this, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Friend, this reinstating is known as our adoption back into God's family. Reinstating things, getting things back to where they used to be before the fall, before sin, before our pride caused so much problem. Not only did the Messiah live for us as a representative, the second thing is he died for us in our place. He was condemned for us. Jesus the Messiah took upon himself the wrath of God that our sin has invited and he died in our place as our wrath-absorbing substitute. Therefore, there is no more wrath to fear. There's no more scrutiny. There's no more judgment. Not a lick of it. Jesus the Messiah took care of all of this for us, as us. 
Your sin has been carried by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Your sin has been taken care of by Jesus, the Messiah. Your sin has been punished by God through Jesus taking your place. And here's where the good news gets even better. Through confession of your sin, through belief and faith in Jesus being your Savior, you're forgiven. You're reconciled back with God, reinstated, as Charles Wesley would put it. And now, all who look upon the Messiah, Jesus Christ, by faith, were given a new identity as we've been adopted into God's family. And that's like uh, cherished. Uh, You're considered righteous, above reproach. You're considered holy. You're considered my people, God says. My delight, God says. My children, he says. Now those who have been saved by this grace of God, we get to live with this new identity being declared over us every second of the day, even in the midst of our sin. Now we get to live from this identity and not for it. Jesus lived for it so that we can live from it. We no longer have to live a life of fear. We no longer have to fear the judgment or wrath of God because Jesus fulfilled all that was required in order for us to have nothing but peace with God. And it's to this extent that in our time of need, we can boldly approach the throne of, not judgment, the throne of grace. And so when you show up to that throne and you admit your guilt, he doesn't say, we're going to be judged and you're going to have to be sentenced to this. Instead, he says, well, there's grace for you. It's a throne that gives out grace. Of course, we can walk boldly into that courtroom. And Jesus Christ has earned this for us. And it's a pure joy and delight that I get to share this good news, this gospel hug with you this morning. I'm so glad I don't have to come up here and tell you guys, do this and do that so that God will love you. Instead, I get to say, Jesus has done this and Jesus has done that. Look at how much God loves you. We have a wonderful Messiah. We should celebrate the fact that he showed up. Going back to the narrative that we've used for this season of Advent of of Egypt, of wilderness, of prophets and Messiah. Today, many of you are, are, are living in sin and deep unbelief. You're what Ephesians and well, all through the New Testament considers you're spiritually dead. To echo scripture, you're without hope. In other words, to play off the narrative, you're still in Egypt. You've been made for Eden You've been made for a new kingdom, but you're waking up in Egypt. You're living in Egypt. It doesn't have to be this way. You're still a slave to the ruthless and abusive masters of sin and death and guilt. There's no lasting peace. There's no rest. There's no lasting relief. Friend, if this is you, I want you to hear this from Hebrews 7. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always, constantly lives to make intercession for them. Hear the great Messiah. Hear Jesus the King call out to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. 
who are worn out and carrying such guilt and shame. All of you who are trying to work so hard to prove your righteousness, to prove to God that you really care, and I'm going to give you rest. Here, take my yoke upon you. I want you to learn from me and be reminded I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. And that yoke that I'm asking you to take that's mine, remember, it's easy. And my burden is light. Friend, he came for you. He came to rescue you. Jesus the Messiah says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but you. I've come to call sinners to repentance. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. Now, I know that also in this room, there are those not only who are living in the Egypt, but those who are wandering in the wilderness this morning. You've been made alive. You've been rescued from Egypt, but we're in the wilderness. And we often find ourselves drifting from false hope to false hope. And temporary uh, spurts and bursts of obedience. We experience these things, but nothing lasting. We're wandering in the wilderness. Friends, do this. Pray for God to strengthen you. Pray for God to strengthen you. Ask him to capture you in such a way that you abide in Christ. And give yourself to him. Give him your time and your, your thoughts. Surrender yourself to God and his word. And I know that he'll speak to you. I know that he'll guide you through the wilderness. A voice calling out in the wilderness, this is the way. Wandering in the wilderness, we're back and forth constantly between listening to what God says in his word and listening to what we feel like is, is better. Friend, give yourself to him. Trust him fully. No longer be like one who is a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Pray this. Pray for God to remove the double-mindedness and the spiritual instability and give you a single focus for him and his word. Pray for this. Ask him for stability as you navigate the wilderness. And as James 1 says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. Receive. You don't have to go work. Just receive with a tenderness, a, a meekness, the implanted word that is able to save your soul. Receive this. Receive the word. Rehearse the gospel to yourself. Oh, so many times a day. I know there's an inner turmoil. I know that your passions are raging at war within you. You desire and you don't have, and so you envy, you hate, and you're driven to gain in hopes that, that you're going to be satisfied. And so you covet and you desire, yet you can't obtain. This is the narrative of the wilderness. Be reminded of James 4, but he gives more grace. So ask for that grace. I don't know what all that means, but ask for it. Ask to experience it, not just theologically, but experientially. Ask to practically understand what that means to receive even more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Stay low before the Lord. That's a key to receiving this grace. Here's what it looks like. You submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You resist the devil. He will flee from you. You draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's the way through the wilderness. Now, I know also there's many of us who have been made alive. We've been rescued from Egypt. And yes, we're in the midst of the wilderness, And we're trusting God. We're devoted to his word as we navigate life. And we are waiting on the return of the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord and King. I encourage you, as Psalm 37 puts it, that you commit your way to the Lord, that you trust in him knowing that he will act. Pray for faith to live this way. Pray for faith to believe this. And as we trust him, Believing and hoping in the Messiah's work as us and for us, we're given increased meaning, uh, understanding more of our purpose, experiencing more of his peace, and living more and more in joy. The more time that we spend devoted to him, learning from him, rehearsing the gospel, giving ourselves completely to him, the more frustrated we're going to be that he's not here yet. We talk about Advent, we talk about longing for his arrival, but for most of us, it would mess things up. we got things we want to accomplish first. I remember several years back, my grandmother of almost 108 years old uh, passed away. And a couple years, my nanny Craig, a couple years before she passed away, 105, 106, I remember she looked at me. There's a lot of stories I want to tell you about right now because she was phenomenal and really funny. Um, But she said, she teared up when she said this. She's like, Jeremy, I've been a Christian for over 100 years. She said, I've sung so many songs about Jesus. I've read the Bible so many times. I'm just ready to see him. And you don't have to be 105 to grow frustrated with this world, letting the things of this world grow strangely dim. You can be 30 and long for Jesus. You can be in your 20s, 40s, and 50s and, and wake up every morning disappointed that the Lord didn't come back in your sleep. The more that we know the Lord, the more that we are devoted to him, there'll be an increased longing for his return. Man, I hope it's today. May it be today. Like, second, like, like Peter says in 2 Peter 3, we're, we're waiting. We're waiting. We are counting the seconds. We're waiting according to his promise for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We waited and God sent his son the first time. And now today we wait with our eyes to the skies longing for his return. And be encouraged by the final two verses of your Bible. The Messiah says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, as we wait, we do so looking back, and we're remembering the faithfulness of God sending his son, the Messiah, Jesus, to us. And we focus and dwell on this fact by sharing the Lord's table every Sunday here at the Axis. 
And what we've heard this morning can be uniquely remembered and experienced through communion together. There's two things I want you to be thinking about this morning as you come and take communion. And it's what we talked about in the sermon. Representative and substitute. The bread representing his body, his perfect life for you, representative. When you grab that bread, I want you to say to yourself, representative, his perfect life, my imperfect life, God sees him and not me. And then you dip it in the juice of the wine based on your age or conscience. And that represents his death where he experienced the punishment for your sin, the wrath of God because he's a just and good God. He punishes the sin, but he does so graciously on his son instead of you and instead of me. When you think that, when you, when you dip that into that red liquid, symbolic of the, the blood that he shed in his death, I want you to remind yourself, substitute, he took my place. Representative, substitute. Representative, substitute. Perfect life for my imperfect life. His death instead of me. Let me pray as we remember the work of the Messiah this morning that gives us a hope to look forward to. Father, Lord, thank you for this encouraging truth that we could hear this morning. I pray for faith to believe it and receive it. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness in, in being the Messiah for us. And Holy Spirit, thank you for coming to us. The very Spirit of Christ, the very Spirit of Jesus, God's own Son, Lord, coming into our lives and making us born again, entirely new and different, something that we could never do for ourselves. Thank you for this. Father, I pray that through your spirit and a growing knowledge of who your son Jesus is and your nature, as we understand more of these things, Lord, that we would be wooed and wowed by your grace, that we would be charmed by your grace, that we would be intrigued, Lord, to learn more of what you have for us and Lord, that all is in store for us, that you would give us faith to believe these truths in the midst of the wilderness where it's so easy to lose heart, where it's so hard to, to believe these things when we're living in such despair, when our pride and self-righteousness is flaring out and flaring up and where we're so competitive and we love leverage over people and all these sorts of things convolute, Lord, the gospel in our life. It's really, really hard to believe. And so, Father, I'm asking that you send your spirit to bring light into those dark areas and that you would create faith where there's doubt and belief where there's cynicism and hope where there's despair. God, do this. Father, I ask that you add your special blessing to this time of remembering you, your work for us, your work as us. We love you, and we can't wait to take and share this meal with you one day in paradise. Come, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, there's servers on either side of the stage, and there's a self-serve station in the back. We've got the Stanleys who are standing at the back willing to pray with you through anything, anything at all. Um, they would love to encourage you through praying and interceding for you in that way. Please do consider the things that I've asked this morning of, of the sermon. Think through the different things and uh, find something that resonates deeply. Think through the, the representative. Think through the substitute as you come and take. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Not just today, but this week, and not just this week, but 
all throughout the rest of your life. Think often on these things. Thinking on this sort of stuff is how one becomes a Christian. And the more that you meditate and dwell on it and believe it, you become a happier and happier Christian. May God add his blessing to our time. You guys can come when you're ready. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It is part of our Advent sermon series, Make Straight the Way. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Oh, Son of God, we wait for Thee. We long for Thine appearing.